My name is Bruce McClay and you're listening to me on Above and Beyond. with another episode of Above and Beyond, brought to you by the Reengineering Australia Foundation. We strive to engage, inspire and educate students, teachers and industry about the value of career pathways that exist in the fields of science, technology, engineering and maths. We're driving to create the next generation of innovators who will build Australia's economic future. Communication spreads across every aspect of REA programs, starting with the need to communicate with sponsors, then comes the formal project verbal presentation, selling the teams at the trade display, interacting with engineering judges, managing social media, and responding to a microphone which may be thrust in your face by the media or the compere at an event. To help clarify how students should react to being in the limelight and approaching communication as a key deliverable, we are here today talking to Bruce McClay. So Bruce has been involved in coaching in the art of communications longer than both he or I are prepared to admit. Some of his achievements include being a founder of Rogen, a world-renowned Australian communications company, and being involved in the bid for the 2000 Sydney Olympics. Bruce has been a lead communicating judge with REA since the day we started, a long time ago now. He's judged at state and national finals, both physically and virtually. Bruce, I think, can comfortably wear the hat of being a communications guru. Welcome, Bruce, and thank you for taking the time to have a chat. Hi, Mike, and uh, thank you very much for that long introduction and also reminding me that I am getting older. Thank you, sir. And we all. Uh, we're here to talk about the process of communicating and how do we start advising students about how to approach the whole concept of communication because it spans such a, a broad component of each of the projects, whether it's F1 or subs in schools or 4x4 or space. Look, it's a really, really interesting area to talk about because first and foremost, I think that for the students when they first get involved, as you say, in subs or F1, I think they're focusing on the car, they're focusing on the sub, they're focusing on the 4x4, the real stuff. And what's interesting is that I sit down and, and say, well, when you design that car, when you design that four-wheel drive, when you design that sub, you want it to be the best of the best and you know it's incredibly competitive, but so is the communication. So I think the first thing, if I imagine that I've got a group of students sitting around me, I'm just chatting to them about getting kick-started, is that this is just as important as the things you see. So the stands you create, the uniforms you wear, the type of bearings you use on your little F1, all of those things there, it's because it's about winning at the end of the day. And this is an area where you can make your mark. Now, you've been involved with uh, REA programs for a long time now. And it goes back to uh, probably when we started with um, F1 in school, so it'd be early 2000, you've been judging, so 2003. Have you seen a change in the capability of students or are they all, do they all need the same amount of assistance these days as they used to before? Well, um, I kind of hate to admit it, Mike, but if you go back to the days when you and I were going to school, we didn't, I think, have the curiosity or the courage to get up and talk like these students do. I mean, I'm thinking about some of the finals we've judged. And one of the most challenging things is sitting down at the end of the day with all my judges and going, well, who do we pick? I think that the students today are growing up uh, in an environment where communication is, is far more encouraged. Now, 
the good thing is that for many students, they're not scared to stand up and to speak and to state their mind. The challenge is now on a, a global forum is how do you create a winning edge? Everybody is going to more or less rehearse. Everybody more or less knows their roles. Everybody more or less knows how to stay on point. So you think about it from a judge's perspective. I'm sitting there in Tasmania or Canberra or Western Australia. At the end of the day, I've got all my judges around me and we're going, we've seen a dozen fantastic teams. So I come back to my first point here is that this can be a real point of difference. But as you mentioned before, the communication is not just about the presentation, is it? No, it's a lot of things. I'm just wondering, you made me think there about when you start the process of communication, you've really got to have a strategy or a, a mantra around which your team exists as well. And that's the thing that when we try and remember, you know, a dozen teams at the end of the day, we try and think of a signature or an imprint or something that's left behind. And Mike, I know that when you have your marketing people talk to the teams, you say, well, stand out, everything's branded. It's the way you make the uniforms, it's the way the what you focus on, it's the stands, it's the folios and, and everything. But I also think that it's important as a team that you have a signature style of communicating as well. Is that built on um, vision or uh, like as in a corporate world, you have a vision or a status or a, a set of goals for the company? Is it, is it, should the team build them on top of that? Here's my take on it, Mike. I remember when you flew me down to Canberra years ago and we had some teams that were a little bit shy, a little bit, I guess, preoccupied, a little bit worried about everything else and sort of the communication for behind the waypoint. And I start from a very different perspective and I said, um, how did you guys arrive here? How did you get to this point? Well, my teachers encouraged me, my parents encouraged me, my you know schoolmates encouraged me, my team encouraged me. And... I said, well, what, what is the experience showing you? What, is it, what are you learning from it? And therefore, what are you going to talk about? And at the end of the day, what I see is incredibly capable young people that are making an early mark in their career. They've chosen STEM. And for me as a judge, I want to know how this isn't contributing not just to that trade stand, not just to the chat to the sponsor, not just the way in which you're working together, but how that helps accelerate you into a STEM career. And the big picture at the end of the day is that's what we're trying to do, isn't it? We're trying to actually develop incredibly gifted, well-rounded young engineers that can communicate. I was just talking to... um internally here to Robin Frampton she actually brought up the thing with me that really that this is, this is not a school project this is the start of their career and that's the difference they need to realise it's not just doing something to get a mark for the teacher this is really stage one of a process and the whole communication and collaborating with industry and all the things they do on from here on is part of their career It's interesting Mike that what I do obviously in full time that I've been doing for decades now is I run webinars globally on collaboration and communication and so forth. And everything that we do in REA, which is, for example, remember the kids in Tasmania that sort of virtually climbed the back fence and went into the, um, there was um, some sort of a, a factory or industry there that they started to collaborate with the engineers. And 
So you've got somebody who's 14, 15, 16 talking to 15, 60-year-old engineers. So what's that teaching you? It's teaching you how to communicate with somebody who's at a different level of knowledge, uh, who has come up in a, a different generation, uh, has a different level of technology. And you told me, you said what was remarkable is that when these people contacted you, they said these young people at 16 know more about the technology and uh, Katia than, than we do. So... A lot of my work in the professional world is taking people that are either very technically competent or are more junior or from a different culture and helping them to bridge that gap. I can't think of a better forum when you are asking these students to stand up and explain to their school what REA is doing and what F1 is doing. When they're approaching sponsors... I mean, this is what we train professional salespeople to do is to go out you know, and raise money and not for profits. So when I think about what we're asking them to do in the process and what people do in real life, you know, I work with biochemists, scientists, engineers, financiers. And at the end of the day, one of the biggest things is you think about going right forward, fast forward to that final presentation you're walking into a room full of people who are closer to our age rather than the students. So what they've got to be able to do is to go, not what I'm saying, not what on the script, not what the teacher has told me, but what are these people going to hear and take out of this? And by the way, you've got 10 minutes. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be judged against, you know, a dozen other of your peers. My grandfather used to say to me that it's not what you say that's important, it's what they hear. Yeah. And it's about tuning what you say and how you communicate to the audience and, and how they may very well respond to the emotions that you can project across to them. Most people say they're, particularly older people say they're scared or they lack self-confidence in public speaking. How do you overcome that or how do you encourage students to push that aside and, and you know, head through all of that? Well, this is probably a little bit like, uh, I guess, the old adage of spitting into the wind. Don't think of it like public speaking. What happens to you when you think about this? If I said to you, okay, Mike, and I know that you're very experienced and used to it, if I said to you, Mike, uh, go back a few years ago, I've got an audience of a thousand, they're really important people, it's high stakes, there's a lot of sponsors there, everybody's going to be watching every word, They're going to be. it's going to be filmed, it's going to be reused. What happens is this enormous amount of a pressure or tension comes back on ourselves and we become very self-conscious. And I go back to that time in Canberra and I ask the students, well, why are you doing this? Well, I want to help my career, but I also want to make the people around me proud. So the first thing is to get your focus right as a team. What you're doing is you're representing not only yourself, your team members, all the people at the school, the parents, the local community that have supported you. And your goal, I guess, is to do them proud, to use an old saying. So if I imagine I've got a team of students in front of me, I want them to focus on that core goal of what have we learned what can we demonstrate to you that this has taught us? Because we've got to communicate the fact that it taught us to prioritise, to plan, to design, to deal with failure, to deal with stress, to deal with too much on your plate at one time. That might sound familiar to many of the folks listening out there. It's life. And just saying we learned a lot through the process. I don't hear anything from that. So I come right back to your original question. It's about refocusing so I start off with the team. What do you stand for? Do you stand for we've learned so much about collaboration or innovation or design or communication or business skills, whatever 
you think that you've taken out of it. That's number one. So what's your kind of mission statement? And then from there, if you think about each role that the team member plays, and I say to them, they said, oh, you know, can we show you the presentation? I said, sure, I'd love to, but I want to hear from you you as team manager, what did you learn about collaboration? What did you learn about focusing people? What did you learn about planning, the design person and so forth? So I don't talk about nerves really uh, right into, until I guess the, the back end. What I do talk about is focus and the focus for the team, the focus for each of the individual contributors. And then we can talk about you know, a little later on, perhaps how people prepare and what my thoughts are on cue cards. I might have the same ones. In, in, in leading on there, then, what is the role of a story in the, in the process of communicating? Now, you're talking about focusing. How does the, the story fit into the process of getting the focus narrowed in? I think what happens is that people drown in the detail and what people do is they get fixated on writing the words. You've got to comply. If you don't comply, you get thrown out, basically, right? So you've got to go to time. If you spend 15 minutes, well, we're just not going to listen to the last three minutes. You have to address certain points. But that's a hygiene factor. I come back to the bar is, 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 is quite high, but the story. Now, my first and last test when I work with teams is what's your storyline? So the first thing is... How do you open the story? And if you go to the movies, you know, you get the scenes and there's helicopters or cars or people or pigeons or whatever, and then the leading characters emerge. So how are you going to open it up? Are you going to start off by having a bag in the centre of the table? And there's obviously a silhouette of a car, but you don't show them yet. And are you going? how are you going to grab their attention? How are you going to focus them? And how are you going to lead into your particular story and a storyline is as we've often talked about is the things that is how generations their cultures come on we go to the movies um we used to read books (laughs) that had stories in them and i think that particularly the person that is orchestrating the presentation don't focus on the finite words or, or the particular words but focus on the journey so how we got started where we started to come up with the design here are the ones that we actually threw away. This is at this particular point. And the second point to it, there was a particular team that we worked with, and I think it was actually in Queensland, and I found that their storyline was kind of disjointed. So I said to them, what if we actually start off with all the components of the car, and then why don't we build it on the way through? So you can say, I was the axle person, I was the wheels person, I was the decals person, I was the person that designed the wings, um, or this is how we got sponsorship, or see this sticker here. So you've got to have a thread, you've got to have a theme that actually carries that storyline. Again, come back to it. I've just watched 12 presentations in close proximity. How am I going to remember yours? We speak at 120 to 130 words a minute. And that's only part of the message. Then you've got the visuals, you've got the energy, you've got all of these sorts of things going on. How am I going to remember you, Mike, at the end of the day? I agree. It's funny. It made me think of uh, often when we go to take teams to world finals, 
we quite often get there and the last thing they've worked on is their verbal presentation. I have a view on that too. <laughs> there's usually a couple of, uh, you know, the, the, the last couple of nights before the competition that we're madly scrounging around trying to get them focused on a verbal presentation. And it's, uh, it's, it's nearly happens every time. When I've walked into and asked them if they want some advice or some help and they say definitely and I walk into the room and, and they've got reams of paper and they've reams of notes and they've got reams of PowerPoint presentations and all ready to go and, and they haven't really thought about it. And I, the first thing I do is I say, put it down. Everything's in the heart. Tell the story. Take me on a journey. And it's amazing within an hour you can get them to tell the story and make the presentation and, and then they realise they haven't used PowerPoint or they haven't used any props. They've nearly they've got it out of themselves and once they've got it out then they go on to do extremely well. I mean, one particularly we had a team that was from a collaboration between Tasmania and the, U- and the UK and, and there was some politics in the UK side and there was a lot of battle and, and they had nothing and, and it went from them having nothing to being one of the top three verbal presentations because we just had them stopping and thinking about the story that they went on to tell that story and it and had a huge impact uh, mm. and, uh, and when you get them to drop that is when, when the real story comes out. Yeah. Another example, you, you again, years ago when we were going for venture capital. Oh, yes. And, uh, and uh, you know, we have had so much we're doing and huge projects and stuff. And you turn around and said, talk about a little project, a medium project and a big project. And you don't forget the rest. And then it was that, you know, we won a huge amount of venture capital off that one presentation. So... What, what was interesting, if in Mike, you've just reminded me of the, the way we approach the, the presentations and the thinking and the storyline. And I remember that day because there was a, a particular company that you're with and a particular chairman, and I volunteered to come along and listen to it. And you went right through and let me introduce you to the company and the chairman and so forth and the parts. And you talked and talked and talked and talked. And at the end, the chairman turned around and said, well, so what did you think of that? And then you called out from the back of the room, you didn't like it, Bruce, did you? So thank you, Mike, for putting me in that unenviable position. And I looked around uncomfortably, looked at the chairman, looked at you, looked at everybody else and said, well, I've just, you know, given half a million dollars to a milking machine that milks cows in half the time, that slices your, your cheese sideways or whatever. I have no idea why I should give you any money. And I said, what is it that you do that is useful? And that's when you did the turnaround. And then I got you to explain as a team what the story was and that you do useful things with your technology. And that was the difference. So coming back to full circle, when you talk about it, my observation is whether it's been in in Perth or Tassie or it's been in uh, Melbourne or Sydney, most people start the art of talking through their presentations way too late. The second thing is they are preoccupied with precision as engineers. But remember, the goal is not to deliver what's written on your notes. Your goal there is to actually cement in the judge's mind that you've learned something about organising, about collaborating, about working through knockbacks, about prototyping, about dealing with people that are very different to you from a communication perspective. So where we start is we say it's okay to get your presentation 30% right. 
to get the detail 30% right. But I want you to start talking about it. And then even if you do it every week along the way, talk it. And what will happen over a period of time is that you'll get up to kind of 80%, but you'll own it because it's your words. And then that also brings us at some stage, Mike, to the process of preparation and cue cards and what your teachers might do. I'll let you lead straight into that one, Bruce. (laughs) Okay. So a lot of teachers uh, do an incredible job. They give up their time, you know, beyond their lesson time, and they really want to help out. And so they go, well, let me help you. I would say it like this or I would say it like that. Now, I've got a, a very frank reminder that you are not 16 or 17. You don't communicate like a 16 or 70-year-old. And as a judge, I know if a teacher has written a script. I know straight away. On average, I would listen to 20 or 30 presentations a week, multiplied by 52 weeks a year, multiplied by three decades. Do the math. I know the minute something is not crafted by Jenny, Joey or Astrid, we know straight away. So number one, teachers, ask your students questions. How did you learn that? At what point? What sparked that? What told you that was the wrong place to go? What does that mean to you? How is that going to help you? Ask questions as a teacher. Look, if I was if I was a teacher came to me and advised me and said, how can I help my team? Start off the comms early. Start off with a big picture on the wall of that journey, of that storyline. Work out your strongest presenters at the start and at the end. Find out how you're going to transition that from one role, from the person at the marketing to the design to the team manager, what's the linkage in the story? And then just get them to talk it through over and over again. It's often a really good idea, either audio or video recording, just use your phone or your iPad, because what you want to do is to not so much think about what you're experiencing, but what the audience hears. And remember that you might have all these thoughts running through your head. You might think, oh, I wish I'd said that. I don't know as a judge what you intended to say. So having the recordings early and often is a really good idea and treat it as if there was a deadline for the folio or a deadline for the vehicle. It's no different because again, at the end of the day, this is something that permeates every activity that you do within the competition. And I have to say, that over the last few years, the standard really has, the bar has been raised. I've seen so many wonderful presentations. Start early, do it often. The world final in Abu Dhabi in September last year, in September, October. And, and I thought I'd just sit in on some of the Australian kids that were making, in this case it was an engineering presentation, only because I need I actually needed some footage for the camera. So I sat in and there were three young engineers, they, were, they must have been in their 30s and uh, doing the judging. And uh, four kids, from, four or five, five kids from the Australian team sat down and they followed the script in terms of taking them on the journey through the whole engineering process. And they were so good at explaining it that the three judges were stunned. They could not ask a question. They could not understand half the things the kids were doing. But they'd go, the students would go back and explain it for them in simple language so that they could follow it. And, and I must admit, I was struggling to keep up with the concepts that they were teaching. They were teaching the, the, the judges, and I think that's a that's the turnaround. If you go in there confident with a story and you're there to take the judges on that journey and teach them about what you've done, it has a huge impact. And when they came fourth, they could have quite easily come first. They were only a couple of marks off it, but... 
just impressive when you see it happen. And as you say, there's only a few marks between first and fourth. Given that students are going to walk into these, uh, in some instances, craggy old industry people. <laughs> I'd probably fall into that category. Thank you, Mike. How do you think they mentally should approach or should think about when they walk in the room and start talking to the judges? Well, it's interesting that, again, that you should say that because it's about the preparation. Judges start observing you when you're at the stands, when you're walking around, how you behave when you're goofing off. We start watching you the moment you walked in. Is it like your parents just threw you into the room and you're still getting dressed, you're breathless, you're confused, you're tense? Do you approach us as human beings and explain you'll just have a minute to set up and do you focus up on us and are you paying attention? The, the, the biggest thing that most people do is their heads are filled with stuff about them. They're filled with the fact that they wish that they'd rehearsed earlier, that they're still not sure if they're going to go to time and they're worried about it. They're not sure about the handover. They're worried about one of their teammates not doing the handover properly. They've just seen the last team come out of the room looking elated. So their head is filled with a whole lot of distractions. So you need to pay attention. I still prepare. I do on average between five and 10, two to three hour webinars a week. I still lay out my plans and my journey after three decades. I do it, one, because I, I hope have very high standards for myself. I want to stretch. But two, so I can do what? I can pay attention to the people because if the judges ask me a question, I need to be focused on the question and listen to the question. And question and answer is gold for me as a judge. Because I know that the parent, the teacher, the senior student is not there to coach you. I find out what you know, you in year 11 or 10 or nine, and I ask you about what you learned about the process. And that's where you've got to listen. And I'm not an engineer. I've been around engineers most of my life, but I'm not an engineer. And as you said before, you know more than me when you walk into the room, but it's about paying attention. If you're still thinking about your presentation two minutes before you present, it's too late because you can't change anything. Now, presentation, uh, particularly verbal presentation, is a team activity and you all have to do your little part. Uh, the one thing that I think you taught me early on is the capacity or the importance of handover. Ah, yes. Yeah, and <laughs> this is what most people do. Uh, so that's it for me. I'd now like to hand over to Peter. Thank you, Paul. My name's Peter. I'm now... You're not actually handing over the person per se, but there's got to be a flow in the storyline. So it has to be something like... So what we found is no amount of wind tunnel testing was going to change everything. And that left us with three clear paths that we had to consider because time was running short. Susie is now going to give us a brief overview of those three alternatives and give you an insight into which one we chose and why. Thanks, Susie. So you summarize the path that you, your path that's been on, you then set like in volleyball, you actually set the next person up for success. And your transitions are designed to take the listener smoothly through the whole journey, not go, so that's designed. Let's talk about marketing. And as a judge, my head's still spinning going, hang on, where did that come from? 
and there's no continuity. And so that's one of the things that we drill in the teams or we get them to drill into themselves is we will go through, you know, 20 minutes of practice just doing the handovers. So they play a huge role in a sense, uh, combining the story of the team. Absolutely. And we don't go into the detail and that's why we just rehearse and we just practice the handovers. Because again, it's like the story stick. If you don't hand it over smoothly or a relay race, you think about a relay race. You've only got to fumble that baton once and you've lost the race. If you don't do a clear and logical and seamless handover from one part of the presentation to the next, then you've lost me as a judge and as a listener. Given that students are walking into being judged by people who are experts in their industry, there's a Bruce McClay in the audience, it is easy to be frightened of that. But But I think what you're saying to me is that if you have your, if you're telling your story, there's nothing to be frightened of because it's your story, not theirs. I don't want you to fail for a start because you remind me of my kids. Think about the ages of the uh, the judges and they want you to succeed. Number two, we want to listen to your story and it's your story. We're fascinated by your story and your stories of achievement. So if you're thinking about fear, if you're thinking about what impression you're going to make, if you're thinking about, well, they're much older, much wiser, all of those sorts of things, then you're not focusing on telling your story. This is not a presentation. You're here to demonstrate to me that you've got something from this process, that you've learned something from it, and you're going to make, because the thing is, you're going to be designing my mobility scooter when I'm old. I want you to pay attention to learning stuff about engineering. You spoke earlier about the about being noticed and being seen, one might say. Um, and where does going out on a limb in terms of the way you present, say, in a verbal presentation, where does that fit into the process? How much on the limb should you go to try and be noticed or remembered? There are two steps, if I, if I may just share the story of the skull. So venture capital people walk into a room, they sit down, it's Friday afternoon, and they've just given most of their money away for the week. And then a group full of engineers walk into the room. Oh, joy. This is going to be probably one of the most thrilling presentations of the week. So good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, My name is Mike Myers. I'm from such and such organization. And we're here to tell you today that you should invest in us because we do things that are useful. In front of you is a skull. Let me share a story with you about an individual that was in a horrific accident and had part of their skull dislocated and, and, and fractured and how our approach and our technology helped save this man's life. Now, freeze frame, what has a skull got to do with engineering and with design and so forth? And I won't go through all of the details, also, but the point is you need to think about the mindset. I've just watched another five presentations and if yours is the same, oh, good morning, judges, and welcome. We're really excited to be here. We've had a wonderful journey through F1 and we'd like to introduce the team. I've just heard that five times before. So thinking about a different way, stand, sit, uh, who starts, um, what you show first, if you have a prop under a cloth, get their attention. The second most, which is equally as important, is it's got to lead the listener directly to a point you want to make. Go back to when you were looking for venture capital. It was a time in a dot-com bust where people weren't thinking about investing in IT, oddly enough. 
So what was urgent, important or consequential in terms of your goal was that you do things that are needed and necessary, that if I invest in you, it's investing in a company with a future. So when you walk into the room, you've got to have a perspective or a point of view for your team and why you've been able to learn from this experience. So grab their attention, but very quickly, you need to bring it to make a point. And that's where you can go as far out as you're brave enough to be, provided that it's relevant. In that process of going out a limb too, uh, you made me think about um, the kids from Queensland that went to the 4 by 4 World Final. And, and historically, teams, you know, like they all stand up, they all introduce themselves, they all use a PowerPoint. And these kids walked into the room with no PowerPoint but an easel. And they put images on the, and swapped the images over on the easel, which was completely different to, and the judges came out thinking that that was absolutely spectacular. And they remembered them because it was so different. So, yeah. so I think the concept of being different. And it, it's about putting them in a fresh state of mind. And the thing is that I, I can actually remember as a judge, I'll remember the easel. Oh, they were the team with the easel. Because I'm, I'm there as a lead judge and I've got all the judges here. And I, they go, well, which team was that? You remember the ones with the easel? Oh, yeah. So remember, at the end of the day, we're going through all of these teams being memorable, but also being relevant as well and about assembling the car along the way and there's a whole lot of other things that have been done as well. But I would really encourage that because, again, this is the points of difference. Everybody's going to turn up. Everybody's going to go to time. Everybody's going to address the criteria. Everybody's going to talk about a car. Everybody has a car or a 404 or a sub. But it's the title of this series, it's above and beyond. Because at the end of the day, that's what makes that infinitesimal distance difference between fourth place and first place. Now, a couple of questions, Bruce. Sure. One of the biggest mistakes that you think you see you see students making or teams making, if we, in a sense, there's somewhat of a summary, but what are the yeah. biggest mistakes? Okay. Too little, too late. You start early. The second is don't try and be somebody else. I know in an instant if you're trying, if you're using somebody else's words or you don't own it, you know? And the last one I think I want to leave you with is that the most confident presenters win. I think it's a load of rubbish. And I think it's a load of rubbish because I think that as judges, we want to see somebody genuinely, and I think about some of the presenters in Tassie or up in rural Queensland or over the West, they may not have been as eloquent. They were not like these YouTubers that, you know, are just kind of word perfect and 100 miles an hour. But they genuinely from the heart can talk to you about, I can actually see in their faces and their actions, in their story, the struggle they had or what they got excited or their achievements. And I don't mind if they stutter or if they use the wrong word um, or if they forget something, but if they engage me, if they talk to me and they're passionate and they tell me a story, that's, again, you've got to tick the basics there. So, and don't think that, you know what, if you're a shy person, if you want to go and hide in a cave for a week afterwards, that's fine. But for that brief moment, for that three minutes that you've got up there for the time that you're talking to the sponsors, the showing the folio, taking the judges through for that, those brief moments there, you're focusing on shifting something in their brain, making an impression. Because remember, you the backdrop to you is a hundred other students. 
One more, they don't use, they shouldn't use cue cards. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, you probably, you probably, look, you probably picked up by now that well-meaning people use cue cards. And no, I think the cue cards suck because you're not there to present words to me. And I know if you've used a cue card and I can see it because it's in front of me. I might be old and decrepit, Mike, but you know what? I can see the cue card. I can see you're hiding it in your hand. Last thing, what's the advice that you'd give to teachers in the process of helping their students prepare? Ask, don't tell. These students are amazing and they are incredibly competent and capable. Our job, and I'm not, please, I'm not telling you guys as teachers how to do do your job, but you want to help and you want to care but it's been like a parent. You got to back off. You walk beside them. You challenge them. You let them fail. You let them miss a couple of deadlines. But then what you do is you can talk to them as if you were a judge because you are closer to a judge than the students are. And you can use the phrase, you've earned the right to say, as a judge, I don't get it. You said it was exciting. What was exciting? You said it was challenging. Illuminate that. Tell me. I don't get it. You went from Jerry to Jenny to Georgina, but I don't get the connection. Help me understand. That's the advice that I would give teachers. Do what you do well, Socratic approach. This is the first step of their career. And I think that's the one thing that teachers have got to step away from being the teacher and being the helper or the guider. And the guider, yeah, absolutely. Bruce, I think what you've you've spoken about today is absolutely wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate your time and effort and I'm always uh, in awe of your wisdom and uh, Maybe we can have another chat. Maybe schools might come up with some points for us they'd like us to discuss with you. So we'll do that in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Mike.